All right. How are we doing, church? Doing good? I hope you're planning on being at the marriage conference that we are co-hosting with First Baptist. Uh, that's pretty neat, just in and of itself. And the reason that we're pastoring, that we're partnering with Pastor Matt and his wife Lauren and First Baptist is um, because we are for the marriages here in Jacksonville. And I don't know if you know this, but the divorce rate in Duval County is about 70%. Did you know that? And, uh, and, and tonight's message has a lot to do with, um, with, with a part of that problem. Do you know the number one reason given in, in regards to why people get divorced? Anybody know? Money. Money. So if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Go to Joshua. Joshua, we're in this series on Joshua about being strong and courageous. And we're going to be in chapter 7 and 8. And just to set it up, I want you to just imagine this for a second. All you married people, imagine this. If you're not married, just imagine you were, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and, and just imagine with me, okay? Imagine having this conversation. Imagine you're at your house and you go, honey, uh, <clears throat> we need to talk. And, and you know this, if you're married, you know that when somebody says we need to talk, they don't mean we need to talk. They mean I'm about to talk and you need to listen. That's what we need to talk means. <laughs> and they were to say to you, hey, hey, honey, we need to talk. Okay, what do, you need, what do we need to talk about? We need to talk about money. Now, as soon as you hear that, in your mind it goes, wah, 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 does it not? But just imagine if the conversation went this way. Honey, we need to talk. What do we need to talk about? We need to talk about money. Okay, what's up? Listen, I've done our finances all month long, all quarter long, all year long, and I've just got one question for you. What's that, babe? What are we going to do with all this extra money? Now, see, you laugh. You're like, <laughs> he's so funny. I told you he's funny. <laughs> what if that was an actual conversation that you had ongoing, like with your spouse or your cats or your roommate or whoever you talk to about your money? What if that was an actual conversation that you had? What are we going to do with all this extra money? And when your spouse said, well, what if we gave more to the church? What if we, what if we tithed? Actually, baby, we double tithed. We gave the first 20% of everything that we had. We've already committed and given to the Lord. Okay, okay, sweet. Well, what if we, uh, I don't know, what if we go on a vacation? We got two of them booked. The one you want to go on and the one I want to go on. We, we just went ahead and booked them both. That's it. What about the kids' college? It's, it's covered. Like, I'm literally saying, um, we've given, and we've saved, and we've spent, and, and now we've got a big pile right here. What, what do you want to do with this? Now, what if I were to say to you that, that that is, for some of you, that is God's desire for you? Now, you've got to hang on here, because if you just grab this one sentence, you'll go crazy on me, which you will, but just hang in here, okay? What if I said <clears throat> that God wants you to be rich? As long as you don't want to be rich and what you really want is God, then God would love to give you money. As long as you don't love money too much, then he would really love give you some money so that you worship him with your money instead of worshiping the money. That that's what God actually wants for his kids. And what we're going to find here, I, I'm going to help you with this and help you understand this. And it's not just this one place in the Bible. In fact, if 1122 is going to be your home, you're going to hear this taught over and over and over and hear me, hear me, okay? So I'm talking about money, but don't, just relax, okay? Just relax, because here's the thing. It's not, I'm not going to take up a special offering at the end of the service. That's not, not we don't take up any offerings ever. Have you noticed that? That's why some of you are like, I love this place, you know? <laughs> we don't do the plate. We don't do any of that. There's not, a, also, I am not coming to you from a place of financial need. We did our Before All Things Generosity Initiative last semester, and, and, but, our church stepped up in an amazing way, in a generous way, and said, he is before all things, and we're going to show it in our finances. And we had a goal, and we've exceeded the goal by $8 million, okay? So this isn't like, we I really need, so it's, it's, this is where we're coming from. 
So you just got to trust me here. And I know some of you are like, I don't know if I trust you. I, okay, whatever. Just trust me on this one. This is actually for you. That, this is, that God wants generosity for you and not from you. And if you, can, if you can begin to understand this, it could change everything, everything. And you actually could have those kinds of conversations. And we're going to see it in Joshua chapter 7 and 8. In order to understand it, though, let's back up one verse and go to Joshua chapter 6, verse 27. Last week ended this way. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Now, if you remember last week, what had just happened is they marched around Jericho, they played their trumpets, they shouted, shout, shout, let, whatever they shouted, I think they sang tears for fears, and the walls came tumbling down. And so for a whole verse here, things are going awesome. One of the things that I've noticed in my study of Joshua and in the book of Judges, which will be in this summer, is that Israel never really did well with blessing. Israel never really did well with blessing. And so for one sentence, you get so far, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Chapter 7, verse 1. You don't even get a break in between. You get, but, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Now, if you were here last week, um, I asked you to, to put a bracket around Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. And this is what 7-1 is about. So, so the command in Joshua 6, 17 and, or 18 and 19 is this. He says, but you keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and all the gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So let me just explain what this means, okay? Jericho is the first city that Israel is going into, and what God says to him is, is this, all of the first is mine. It's all, all of the first is mine. And this is what, if you've been around 1122 for a while, you've heard me teach on this before. This is called, this is the principle of the first or principle of the first fruits. And you can, you can start in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. You see, the reality is that God is first. Before there was a beginning, there was God. Before there was anything created, there was the creator, that God is first. And God just doesn't do second. Just like there's just some things that God doesn't do or God won't do. God won't lie. God won't sin. God won't be second. Because for him to be second, it would be outside his character and his nature that God is first. It's what our entire before all things uh, discipleship journey is all about. Colossians chapter 1, that all things are created by him, for him, through him, and to him, and that he is before all things. That God is first. And he will either be first as your savior or first as your Lord and judge. But he will be first. That God is first. And that God loves first. And the reason that God loves first is because God is first. And, and what we talked about a couple weeks ago was God didn't love you first because you're so awesome. But God loved you first because God is love. And that God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was in this perfect love relationship with God's self before any of us were on the scene. And God's love for God's self spills out over onto us. And the reason that you and I can love is because God first loved us. That's 1 John chapter 4. Not only that, not only is God first, and not only does he love us first, but he went first. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners that Christ died for us. In other words, God didn't wait for you to get your junk together to be like, now you are lovable. But even when you were unlovable, 
and continue to be unlovable like me. That God says, no, 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 I will go first. You see, the deal is just that God is first. And then what we learn throughout the scriptures and what you know just by human nature and your own experience is, is that what you love and where your treasure is, those things are intimately and intricately intertwined. And so God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. And Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is the very first city that Israel comes to. And for the first city, God says, I'm taking all the spoils and all the plunder of the first city. Because, because it's first and it all goes to God. All of the first is devoted or dedicated to God. And, and it, this is what is important, okay? The reason it's important to bring God first is first fruits to God is the only way to give by faith. You see, there's kind of two ways to do it. Um, you can either give God first or you can give you first. That's kind of how it goes. You can give God first and say, God, I don't know what's coming in next, but here's the deal. I'm putting my trust and faith in you, not in me. And so because I trust you, I'm going to give you first because you're a good dad. You love your kids and you, you own the, the, the cattle on a thousand hills. You own the stars in the universe and give them their names. You are in charge of all of the economy and everything that I have is yours. And so I am bringing to you first. That is the only way to give by faith. The other option is, um, actually, I'm going to give me first, and then if I have any leftovers at the end, God, then I'll give you your cut. And the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so this first fruit giving here, this is why this is a big deal. Now, I need to tie it to the book of Deuteronomy. Do you remember the entire book of Deuteronomy is Moses pleading with the people before they go into the promised land. He is saying, let me just warn you, warn you, warn you. There is coming a day very, very soon, and the manna is going to dry up, and you're going to be eating food that you grew, and you're going to move into homes that you didn't build, and you're going to be drinking uh, out of wells that you didn't dig, and you're going to be digging into refrigerators and you didn't stock them, okay? That you're going to have more than enough, and the whole book of Deuteronomy is basically this. Whatever you do, whatever you do when God is blessing you like crazy, don't forget God. And don't think that it's you that has provided all of this, but whatever you do, don't forget the Lord. And so the first command that God gives as they go into Jericho is you're gonna give me first. Because, because it's declaring that you, God, you are before all things. Before we've got it all figured out and see if there's enough for you, we're gonna bring back to you first because you are first, you love first, you win first. So that is the command here. So with that in mind, Verse seven, verse one, I mean, chapter seven, verse one. But the people of Israel broke fate in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah. And sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you're like, why do they put all these weird names in here? Because this is an actual event, you understand? So there were some people and they'd be like, what, the son of Carmi? Man, I went to prom with her. Like, this is a real person, okay? <laughs> For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, here's what he did. He took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now, here's what is important. Man, God didn't need that silver. God didn't need that gold. And God didn't need the stuff that he took. That's not the point. The point is this, is that God will not be second. Just like God does not put up with sin because he's a holy and just God, God is preeminent. He is first and he is before all things and he will not be second. He will not play second. And so that's why his anger burns. 
verse two. And so Joshua, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and they spied out, spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. And don't make the whole people toil up there, for there are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of the men, and they chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted, and they became as water. Now, real quick, look in the text. I mean, look down. You got a Bible on your lap, right? Because I hope you got a Bible. If you do, we've been over this, all right? So everybody should have one. Where are the instructions of the Lord in this attack on Ai? They're not there. So far, they've only attacked one city, Jericho, and God told them exactly what to do, and they did exactly what God said, right? And it went exceedingly well. And in this one, you know what happened? What can happen to every single one of us, particularly when it comes to finances, you know what's happening here? It, and I'm reading between the lines, but it seems to me Joshua begins to think, hey, man, you know what? I don't have to really lean to, on God on this one. I got this. I mean, I got this. Dude, we just crushed Jericho. All right, Jericho was a double-walled, fortified city. It was the oldest city in human history. It was the most fortified city in human history, and we didn't even have to swing a sword. We just marched around that thing. Yeah, boom, the thing came down. AI's got about 12,000 people. We ain't even gonna send, a, we're gonna send like a JV crew over there, okay? Just like on the weekend. I'm not even gonna, we don't even have to worry about this whatsoever. And then they're in shock. They're in shock. They're like, what? They go over there, they go to fight. They realize, uh-oh, they've got no courage. They've got no strength. They turn and they run and 36 brothers don't make it home. And so verse six, Joshua, he tore his clothes and he fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, alas, Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Immediately, look what Joshua does. Man, he gets weak and afraid again. He gets this victim mentality. He's starting to pray like the, the people that were following Moses around prayed. Oh God, why'd you bring us out of Egypt? We don't have anything to eat. Did you just bring us out here to die? The moment things don't go his way, and again, why did things not go his way? Because he didn't ask the Lord what his plans were at all. He said, God, I got this. Guess where I got this leads to? I don't got this. And now he's on his face before the Lord. He's like, God, are you tricking me? What are you doing? Verse eight, oh Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before the enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and they'll surround us and they'll cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Verse 10. <laughs> and the Lord says to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Get up. In other words, I think God's like, hey, hop up, okay? There are no victims here. There are only victors. Get off your face and get up. And he says this, he, he lets Joshua know what's happening. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant and I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things and they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. You see, and you look at this and you be like, God, this is pretty harsh language, isn't it? You know, you know uh, basically what God is saying here? Here's what's happening, Joshua. 
If you want to stiff arm me out of the plans of Israel, go ahead. But this is where that leads. If you want, to, if you want me to play ball in your lives, then you've got to invite me as first into your lives. You see, the path that you are on leads to this place of destruction when you are leading the way on your own. And what you're doing right here is you're, listen to what he says. He says, you've sinned, transgressed, taken, stolen, and lied. Now again, we're talking about what Achan did. And what Achan did is when the plunder of Jericho is available to him, he looks around, he goes, now I know the first is supposed to be devoted to the Lord, but he's not gonna miss this, it's just a little bit. Just a little bit of gold, a little bit of silver. He gets him a slick robe, you know. He's, he's, he's got a little, got a little uh, you know, Rick James in him or something. I don't know. He's like, this is pretty. I'm taking this to my wife. I don't know. But he, you see, and you look at that, and you think, God, that's kind of some harsh language, isn't it? Sin, transgressed, taken, stolen, lied. Is that the kind of language we would use for us? No, 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 no. We would never use language about us that way, would we? Uh-uh, uh-uh. You, you see, here's the thing. That does seem like harsh language um, if, if you think you're an owner of everything that you have. If you think everything that you have is yours, then that's some really harsh language. But if you think that you're a steward or a manager and that it all belongs to God, then it's very, very understandable because here is the truth. I mean, here's just the God's honest truth. Most of us in the room, by global standards, are very, very rich, and we don't feel like we are. Did you know that, that as you came to church today, if you decided what pair of shoes you were going to wear based on the color of your belt, then you're really, really rich. Did you know that? Did you know there's very few people in the entire world that get to make those kind of decisions, right? If you drove here in your own car, you're in like the top 5% of the richest people in the entire world. And the problem is you don't feel rich, right? You don't feel rich. You know, if you make about $35,000 in annual income, you're in the top 1% of richest people in the world. And every time I say that, I'm waiting for somebody to be like, baby, see there, I told you, knocking it down, 35K, woo, rich. Okay, so most of us are rich and don't feel like it. And most of us aren't very generous, but, but you feel like, oh, I'm very generous. I'm very, very generous. The reason that we feel very generous is because we think more is mine, and that I own it all. And that anything that I were to give to anybody else is me being very generous. And that's why these words are kind of offensive to us. But from God's perspective, I'm telling you, Achan had sinned, had transgressed, had taken, had stolen, and had lied. You see, the reality is this. This is the way economy works and God's economy. It all belongs to God. Every single bit of it belongs to the Lord. And it's all on loan from him for a limited amount of time. And do you know how much you're going to give away? Eventually, you'll give all of it away, okay? Because you're going to leave it all here, and you're going in one direction or the other. Either way, it's all staying here. And so the way God's economy, the way to think about it is this. Imagine God meets you in the parking lot when the service is over, and he comes up to you, and he says, here, I'd like to give you $10. You're like, what, for me, $10? Wow, this is very generous. God, what would you like for me to do with your $10? He goes, well, first, I want you to give me a dollar. Sure, you just gave me 10, I'll give you one. What should I do with the other nine? Whatever you want. Wow, you walk away from that going, God is so generous. But what Achan did, it's like God walks up to him and says, hey, here's $10. Wow, thank you very much. What, what should I do with it? Well, I want you to give the first dollar to me. Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Let me first spend, let me see if I can get everything I want for nine, and then if I've got some left over, then I'll bring it to you. And we had the audacity to bring that quarter, because, you know, we never, you know, we didn't put tax in. That tax always gets you, right? Like, it's always $9. Well, with tax, it's like nine fifty. okay? And then you're like, hey, God, here, look how generous I am. I'm bringing back to you. I'm giving you, here's how we do it. I'm giving you my 50 cents. And we think, look how generous I am. See, what God would say is, no, you're not. We've sinned, we've transgressed, we've taken, we've stolen, we've lied. Keep going, verse 12. God says, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. In other words, basically God says this, do you want me involved or not? Do you want me? Because when I get involved in your world, Everything changes, I promise you it goes my way because I'm in charge of all things. But if you stiff arm me, if you stiff arm me from your world, then this is what you're gonna get, that the plans of man fail. Now let me tell you what a lot of us have a tendency to do. We say, no, 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 God, I want you in my, I want you in my worship life. Come on, I want you in my worship life. You're gonna ride around in a car with me, I'm gonna play the new 1122 CD and I just glory to God. I want you in my worship life. And I want you in my moral life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some changes in the way I live and the way I date and what I say and what I don't say and what I do and what I, and I want you involved in that. And I want you in my relational life. I wanna have deep, abiding, biblical friendships, all right? But on this financial thing, I got it. No, 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 I'm not gonna do it. You just stay out of it. You just stay out of it. And I'm telling you, it leads somewhere that none of us want to go. That's what happens here. Verse 13, God says, get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, they are devoted, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all he has. Because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now again, we look at this, it's just a little bit of stuff, and we're like, is it really that outrageous? The outrageous thing is, is that Jesus Christ is preeminent above all, and that is a really big deal. And if you've got financial issues, they're not primarily financial issues, they're symptoms of spiritual issues. So this is how this goes. He says, all right, Josh, bring all the tribes of Israel, there's 12 of them, and they're gonna line up in front of you, and you're gonna cast lots. All right, it's like playing dice. You're like, all right, and you're gonna roll the dice. I'm like, everybody, all the tribes can go. Number 11, you stay, and then that tribe's gonna stay. And then you're gonna roll the dice again, boom, and you're gonna pick it up and be like, family eight, you're gonna stay, and that family's gonna stay. And then you're gonna do it again, poof, and then all these guys are gonna stay, and then you're gonna roll the last one, and the last guy that you number off, that's gonna be the guy that stole the stuff. Can you imagine, as Joshua is laying out that plan before Israel, Achan's probably be like, the odds are in my favor. I think I'm going to be okay. And his tribe is going to be standing up there, and he rolls the dice to that tribe of Judah, I'd like you to stay. And Achan's like, what are the odds? And then he's like, hey, uh, Achan's family, I want you to stay. And he's like, uh-oh. And then sure enough, he's like, uh, Achan, you and your family, I want you to stay. And then sure enough, by lot, God picks him out, and there he is. And so here's what Joshua says. So Joshua rose early in the morning and he brought Israel near the tribe. 
and the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken, and he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, God of Israel, and give praise to him. That word praise is the same word for confess. In other words, Joshua says, all right, you got an opportunity to confess what you have done here, Achan, and tell me now what you have done. Don't hide it from me, verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, if, if you totaled this up back in that day, it was like a li lifetime of cash and prizes. Okay, this is Powerball money right here. This isn't just like a, a little trinket or two. It's kind of a big deal. But I want you to see the words. What he says here, Achan says, okay, I sinned. But here's how I sinned. You see, it started with this. I just saw something. And, I, and, and, and at that point, I don't think it was a sin quite yet, okay? I just saw something with my eyes. But then I went from seeing to coveting, or seeing the way we would say it is, is wanting. And then I went from wanting to taking. You see, that's the way it goes with a lot of us, especially when it comes to God's resources. We may, we, we believe in Jesus, and we love the church, and what God's doing, and I mean all of that. Okay? I'm talking about seeing with our eyes closed people. You know what I'm saying? And, then, and yet, and we say, God, I know first is yours, and I have set apart this for you. And then if you're like me... You, don't, you, you walk through a store or something, and you see it. You're like, I didn't even know I needed that until I saw it. And then you see it. And what starts out is this idea in your mind begins to drop into your heart. And it goes from seeing to wanting. You're like, golly, I want that a lot. <laughs> and then your hand begins to reach out, like with a closed fist instead of open-handed. And you're like, I'm just going to take this. All right, God would be good, not, not quite on my first, but let me see after I get this what I have left over for him. You see, he says, I saw, and I wanted, and I took them. Back when we did the Give Love a Try series in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says this in regards to sin. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. You see, it's the same thing. The NIV translates it, the lust of the flesh. That's how I memorized it, Okay. That, that we have the, the lust of the eyes. That's what, that's what Aiken says. Man, I had this lust of my eyes. I just began to see some stuff. And then it's the, the lust of the flesh. And I started thinking, man, I just got to have this. And then it's the pride of life. And so I reached out and I took what was not mine. And then what happens to every single one of us? We all have a potential for this. And then the things that we own begin to own us. The things that we try to go out and grab hold of begin to grab hold of us. And essentially, what God is saying here in this passage is, what is most important to you? What is most important to you? Am I most important to you, or are the things of this world most important to you? Because if the things of this world are most important to you, and you put your trust in them, I'm just promising you, I'm going to back out of there and go ahead and see how those temporary gods fulfill you. And they just can't. And they won't. They never, ever, ever will. And so here's what happens. Verse 22, and so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in the tent 
with the silver underneath, and they took them out of the tent, and they brought them to Joshua and all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord, and Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and oxen and donkey and sheep and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor, and Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And, now let me just stop here. If this is an American story, it would go this way. And Achan confessed on Oprah, and everybody said, ah, don't worry about it, buddy. Just keep the stuff, all right? That is not how this is going to go, okay? And all Israel stoned him with stones. I don't know how she stoned him, but that's how they did it, okay? They stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called Valley of Achor. That means trouble. Achor means trouble. Now, I've got good news. Let me just give you the gospel real quick. Good news. Every single one of us have sinned, lied, cheated, and taken what is not ours. And we deserve, we really deserve the wrath of God. And because of God's great mercy and love and grace, and because God is first and God loves first and God went first, though we deserve, though we deserve when we are a traitor against the almighty king, Jesus steps in and says, I'll take the stoning for them. Okay, so that is good news for us. But the reality here is this, is there is collateral damage when you worship money. There is collateral damage when you worship money. Here's the thing about it. We have been called to worship God with our money, not worship our money. Let me talk to primarily the dads and the heads of the households. You cannot get you into a financial mess and there not be extensive collateral damage for the people that you say you love most. I mean, not by a show of hands, please, we'll, we'll you know, insult us all, but haven't a lot of us been deeply hurt because of other people worshiping money? It wasn't even necessarily like our fault. And you see, there's incredible, incredible collateral damage. And here's what I would say to you, and that is not God's desire for you, that is not God's plan for you, and that is not God's want for you. And let me say, um, and, and I, I want for you so bad to learn this lesson now, now. Because I come to you um, in, in this area of my life with great pain, with great pain. I was talking to Pastor Stone, Ryan Stone, about his, like, giving life and all of that stuff. And I'm like, but how did you learn how to tithe and that just become a part of your life? And he's like, well, I started when I was three and I just kept doing it. <laughs> well, God bless your ministry, okay? That's not really the way mine went. So here's how mine went. In 2003, I got hired to be the youth pastor at, at Beach United Methodist Church. Pastor Jerry Sweat is the senior pastor. That's the church that we launched out of if, if you weren't around then. Um, and so here's the thing. Uh, <clears throat> typically, like if you're the youth pastor, they were going to introduce me to the whole church, right? So the parents wouldn't get creeped out if I'm like following their high schoolers around. Like, no, 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 that's what they pay me to do. And so they were introducing me to the entire church. And so the very, the very first message that I ever sat under Pastor Jerry teaching, the point of the message was this. He stood in front of the congregation and he said these words. He said, you cannot simultaneously be in a financial mess and be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And I went, uh-oh. I mean, really, I thought, honestly, I thought, I'm a fraud. I'm a complete and total fraud. And I kind of wanted to raise my hand and be like, um, actually, I feel like I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ. And in fact, y'all paid me to be the professional one here at your church. And uh, I'm in a financial mess. 
See, at that point, Gretchen and I, we were in $24,000 of credit card debt. And we also owned a house in Athens that we were having trouble selling, and we were living down here. And again, and, and I remember in his sermon, now this was back in 2003, he said, the average American household carries $8,000 of credit card debt. And I thought, that ain't that bad. I wish I was average, <laughs> like a third of what, of what I got. By the way, I checked the number, it's grown to 15,000 in credit card debt. And so, you see what happened, man, I, I, I never, I don't know, nobody really taught me about money or anything. And, and so what happened to me is, um, Maybe my parents paid for everything when I was growing up, you know, and, and all of that. But I got to college. When I started college, I went to VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, and I went there. I uh, thought I was going to be a doctor, uh, primarily, so that once I became a doctor, I could get Doc Martens and be like, see, get it, Doc Martens? So that was kind of it. And I wanted to be rich, and I wanted people to respect me. And so I thought I'd be a doctor. And I was walking, I just turned 18. I, I started college at 17, that's dumb. And then I just turned 18, like a few weeks into school. And I'm walking by the little commons area and there's a little cute girl there and she's got um, a little clipboard thing. And she says, if you free, fill out this, this credit card application for free, you get a t-shirt. And I thought, well, how could, how could that be a bad deal, all right? And so I sat down and I filled this thing out. And it was like annual income. I don't, Zero? I don't know. I mean, I, I need to get a job. I don't know. We count it by the hours, not the year. I, I've never had one of those kind. I don't know. So I filled it out, whatever. A few weeks later, I get a, I get a letter in the mail. Open that thing up. Dear Mr. Martin. Mr. Martin? Hmm. Look at here. Congratulations. <laughs> what if I won here, all right? Based on your uh, incredible credit st score... And financial prowess, we would like to uh, issue you this MasterCard. And I thought, well, there you go, man. And I got the thing out. And, wow, look at here. And I had a credit limit. Check this out. You ready for this? You ain't even going to believe it. $500. <laughs> what am I going to do with all that money at one time? $500. <laughs> and I thought, well, I, probably, I don't even need this. I mean, I'll call this number right here just... <laughs> You don't even remember that. <laughs> it takes so long for the zeros. <laughs> Peeled off the sticker, put that thing in my pocket, and thought, I won't need it. I mean, you know, I, I don't need that kind of stuff. And then sure enough, about two weeks later, me and some of the boys uh, from the fraternity I was pledging, was, we, were, we were hanging out. People like, man, I'm starving. I'd like some pizza. And I was like, yeah, we don't have money. Money? Hey, wait a minute. I got $500. <laughs> don't worry about, worry about it, boys. I got it. And I, however you did it back then. I can't remember. Just... <laughs> You remember that? That sign stuff. <laughs> sure enough, uh, after a few months, I began to, oh, I remember I got my first bill. And I was like, wow, man, I got to pay eight bucks? This is a great deal. The T-shirt's worth more than $8. How could this go wrong? I paid my eight bucks, and then the bills kept coming. I paid my $8 every time. And then, sure enough, I hit 500, hit the limit. I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do? Right about that time, another letter comes in the mail. And I hope, dear Mr. Martin, well, here we go again. They're probably going to check on me. Because of your incredible credit score and financial prowess, we are ready to raise your limit. I'm like, well, look at there, okay? Man, my friends at MasterCard, who knew? And so they jumped me up. Are you ready for $800? Not by $800, to $800. Sure enough, in, a, in just a quick minute, just a quick minute, I was full there. 
So then, man, you just, you just start getting used to doing that, and I'm doing that. I'm just paying minimums. And then did you know you can get one card and pay off another card with that card? Apparently, they don't talk to one another, but you can do that, <laughs> you know? So I did and continued to do it. Went through grad school, did the same sort of thing. Met Gretchen, met Gretchen. Did you know you can put your honeymoon on a credit card? I promise, I did. And so you fast forward, and I just continued to do those things. If you invited us out to eat, our answer was, yeah, where are you going to go? Let's do it. Money. Who needs money? All right, we're flipping through the car. And then, and, and honestly, it was just symptomatic. And here's the thing I need you to hear. I was a Christian. I was a professional Christian teaching the Bible to students and leading people to Jesus and Walmart and all, the, all that kind of stuff. And yet here was an area in my life where I was like, Lord, I'm a, Mm-mm, I got this. I got this. And the Lord was like, okay, it's your call, hoss. And this is where it led. I mean, I was up to my eyeballs in credit card debt, $24,000, honest to goodness, feeling like a fraud at Beach United Methodist Church. Also with the responsibility that I'm supposed to disciple this new upcoming generation of middle school and high school students. And I thought, I'm a fraud. Now, <clears throat> And here's what I also thought. I thought, I can't tell anybody. I can't tell anybody. Man, they might fire me. Or now, now, what I came to find out, there were some incredible godly men and women at Beach that would have loved me and graced me and helped me get through this. But I didn't. I was like, uh-uh. And I, I, I talked to Gretchen. We got home that night, and I was like, baby, we got this thing, whole thing backwards. We got this whole thing backwards. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start tithing. And we talked about it. We did the math. We were like, I don't know if we can give the first 10%. I don't think we'll have enough to pay MasterCard and all these other things. I don't know. I don't know. And here's the crazy thing about it. As I sat there in $24,000 in credit card, credit card debt, I didn't have anything to show for it. I can't even remember the stuff. I, I mean, it's not like I had a $24,000 truck to get in or a boat. You know what I mean? I had, you know what I had? I went and found this. I had a $24,000 t-shirt. This is the t-shirt that I got. BCU, there it is. For $24,000. I had our CFO, Stacy Brown, do some math for me. Do you know what would have happened if I would have continued to pay the minimum payments every time I got my credit card statement in? It would have taken me 66 years to pay it off. And I would have ended up paying for this t-shirt $110,000. That's what it would cost. Okay? Or here's another option. Here's another option. If I would not have done $24,000 in credit card debt, but I was taking all of the money that it would cost to pay that off, and I would have invested it starting my freshman year, um, that would equal, over that same amount of time, that would equal up to $791,000 in like really conservative investments. So what do you think God wants for you? He says, well, I look, and I have nothing. I'm sitting there just feeling like an absolute fraud. And, and here's the deal. And I don't know, this may be trans, too transparent for you, whatever, all right? So we got 24000 in debt. I got paid $40,000 as the youth pastor. And we committed. We're tithing first. That's just what we're doing. The first 10 is going to Jesus. And I don't know. I trust he's going to figure out the rest. And if we can't do it, I don't, I, I, I don't think Beach will let us starve. And praise God, I was a youth pastor. So every lock-in, we'd order pizza and some for me to take home. And Wednesday night dinners, I was at every one. And, and we, so we did that, and then we bought a Dave Ramsey book. And we went and got it, and we just started working the plan and working the plan and working the plan. And where I did make a mistake is I was not honest with the brothers and sisters around me because I was too prideful and I was afraid that I wouldn't be accepted in the mess that I was in. 
and without any like supernatural checks, because this is typically the point where the guy up front with the microphone is in like, and then one day, $24,000 floated into my Bible. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. We got no unexpected checks. We got no, none of it. But we changed everything about what was first in our life and what we spent money on. And if you talk to people that knew me back then, we didn't do vacations. There weren't, we live at the beach. It was like, people are gonna have to vacate with us, okay? We ain't going anywhere. Youth trips are our vacations. And we didn't do, we didn't go out to eat. We didn't, we didn't really do out to eat dinners and that kind of stuff, because we didn't have money for it. And we literally were on rice and beans for a little while. And, not, and, and that's not to feel sorry for anybody. If you make $40,000, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. This was not an income problem. This was a heart problem with me, with me. And in about two years, a little bit less than two years, I wrote my last check to get out of debt. My last check. Now, that's some, that's some kingdom math right there. Can I tell you that? I don't know how 40 pays off 24 in two years without some kind of stuff going on, but that is just some kingdom math. And let me just assure you of this, because there's a bunch of you that are up to your eyeballs in credit card debt, and Jesus can't be first in your life because your master card won't let him be. And God wants you to be free from that, totally free. Because let me promise you this, when I wrote that last check and handed it in, sent it in, and I was debt-free, it was the, the second best feeling ever in the whole world, okay? And if you're like, Mom, what does he mean? You should be in our kids' ministry, all right? You're not old enough for this. So it's just true. So what if I told you, honestly, when you begin to see resources like seeds in the hand of a sower, and the reason that God gave us these resources was to declare that he is first, and we began to be generous because he was first generous towards us through Christ on the cross. And we begin to sow into what, what, what are things that are important to God, into the expansion of his gospel, in the planting churches right here and around the world, into caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan. When we begin to just invest and declare, Jesus, you are before all things. I'm telling you, trust me, trust me, trust me, that God wants to continually replenish the hand of the sower who empties out the seeds as often as he can. He says to people like us, oh, you who have been faithful with little, now be faithful with much more. Now, now this is crazy, but, but I, I would even say God... God wants you to be rich as long as you don't love being rich. Because here's what you, you can't play God. There's no way, he is, not, he is not a slot machine that you can trick. If you think, see, here's the heresy of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, as taught on TV often, goes this way. If you give to God, then he owes you. You know what the fundamental heresy of that is? In that equation, who is preeminent? Me. That God has to respond to me. God, I gave you a dollar, now you owe me $10. In that equation, you are God, and he, he is just your, your bellboy. Go get me what I need. That's the heresy. That is not what I am saying at all. What I am saying is that God has a desire for you to know him as first in all areas of your life, and that he can be trusted, and he can be trusted. And here's what I think. I think most of you in the room really want to be generous. And it's not even a greed thing that's keeping you from being exceedingly generous. It's actually a fear thing. And the question that you have to get to is this, what do I fear more? 
Do I fear a lack of resources in the future or do I fear God not being involved in my finances? And, and the point that I had to come to sitting in a seat at, at Beach United Methodist Church is this, is that I'm more afraid that I'm leaving God out of this area of my finances than I am what's gonna happen to me financially. Because if I trust him with my eternity and I trust him with my salvation and I trust him with my prayers and I trust him with my family and I trust him with every area of my life, then why would I not trust him in this area? And that's just my story. And I'm not gonna share details with you because I don't want you to get all goofed up, but at this point in my life, you have no idea what it's like, or maybe you do, some of you, a bunch of you do. You have no idea what it's like to have the joy in giving that we have at my house. That when the before all things opportunity came before us and Gretchen and I are praying about it, and again, guys, the, the, the generosity initiative went incredibly well. You see, I'm, I'm trying to get you to, to, to get into this and to be a part of the blessing that God has for you. Do you know how awesome it was for us to be in a position that, that, we, could, that we could be generous and that we could stretch? And, and what God led us to pour into his kingdom was, man, it was even more than my entire annual income was just a few years ago. Why? Because when he's first, you can trust him with every single thing. And if you're like, are you bragging? I'm really not bragging. I don't have anything to brag about. He was so gracious to us, so gracious to me. I know it by the cross, and I've experienced it in every single area of my life. And look what begins to happen here. Chapter 8, verse 1, after all the first things are devoted to God, look what happens. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. You see, it's like a do-over, right? That sounds very similar to be strong and courageous. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. And take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai and see, I have given you, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Now do you notice all the instructions are coming from the Lord? He goes, only, only. In other words, Joshua, this one's gonna be a little bit different. You see, the first, Jericho, everything went to me. But on this one, only its spoils and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourself. Lay an ambush against the city and behind it. And sure enough, they go in and they wipe your place out. Here, here, listen, this isn't the last one. Throughout the book of Joshua, they conquer seven nations, 31 kings, and 10,000 square miles of choice property. And you know what God asked for? Just first. Just put me first. Just put me first. So the point tonight is not even a point, it's really a question. And, and here's the question. If you're honest, and I know, this is church, no place for that, but just be honest with you and somebody, Jesus, hopefully. How would you describe your financial situation? How would you describe your financial situation? Very generally speaking, it's one of three things. For some of you, you could say, it's faithful. It's faithful. I put God first and it shows up in my finances. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna work out, but I'm telling you what, I am responding to God because he is first, he loved me first, and he went first, and he gave me his best. So I'm bringing my best and first to God every single time. And some of you, by faith, by faith, and, and, and the number matters none. You think God needs your money? What, you gonna give him $20? He's good, he's got it. But it is an expression of God here, you are first in my life. There's some of you that say, yeah, it's faithful. Or would you say, actually what describes my financial situation is fearful. 
That's fearful. The moment God begins to nudge me towards generosity, the what ifs overcome me. What if we don't have enough? And what if somebody gets sick? And what if we don't have for this? And what if we don't have, what if, what if, what if, what if? And, and the sad thing there is, listen, I hope what, what begins to happen in you is the fear of God not being involved in your finances is greater than the fear of you not having enough. Because what we're saying is, what I'm telling you, if you're afraid and if the whole thing's jacked up, it's because you're putting your trust in the wrong thing. Because you're saying, all right, God, I got this. And then there's a third category. There's a third category. And I haven't really talked about this that much, and I'll talk about it at other times, I promise. But there's a third category to be like, hey, pastor, you can say all you want to, but I'm good. I'm good. I give last, and I don't give much at all, and I got more money than I know what to do with. So what about me? And I think what would describe you is false security. You see, the Bible says in Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty and not to put their hopes in the uncertainty of riches. And what I would say to you is that if you are putting your trust in your riches instead of the, the, your trust in the one who richly provides, then you are going to be let down. Trust me on this. Money makes a terrible God. Money is an incredible tool by which we can worship and honor God. And when we worship and honor money, it always will let us down. If you were here for elder-led prayer, then you saw Elder Rusty with a brick up here. And he was saying, is a brick a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's a lot like money. You could take a brick and you could build a church and you could worship in it. Or you could take a brick and you could conk somebody in the head in it with it. It would be a terrible thing. Money is the same way. You begin to worship that thing. I'm telling you, we try to grab onto it, and it grabs onto us every single time. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, the longest sermon that Jesus ever preaches. He says this, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. And honestly, if you're honest, a lot of us try to do that. We're like, I'm going to serve Jesus with my heart and my soul and in heaven and with my Worship, sing, all these things. Okay, I'm going to serve him there, but then I got this other part, and I'm going to serve this other master called money. And Jesus goes, it's impossible. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You see, it's an emotional thing here. That you, your devotion will go to one. He goes, you cannot serve God and money. Verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. This is right on the heels of you can't serve both. You know what he's implying? If you serve money, this is the road that you're going down. You'll be anxious about your life. You'll be anxious about what you eat. You'll be anxious about what you drink. You'll be anxious about your body. You'll be anxious about where you live. You'll be anxious about what you drive. You'll be worried about that all the time. And no matter how much comes in, you'll never have enough because you'll always be worried about it. And he says, yeah, don't do that. And actually what he says is some of you are worrying like the pagans, like the Gentiles. Some of us financially are acting, we're acting like practical atheists, like God isn't actually in charge of all things. And so he says, 25, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life and what you'll eat or what you'll drink or the body and what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 33, he says, but seek first, see, there's that principle, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What things? All that stuff that some people worry about, like what you're gonna eat and where you're gonna live and what you're gonna wear and all those kind of things. So imagine, can we go back to the very beginning? Imagine, can you imagine having that conversation? Hey, honey, come here, we gotta talk about something. What's that? What are we gonna do with all this money? 
And you'd be like, can you believe we're here? Like, no. I can remember when we used to get on our knees and be like, dear God, please send some more money. And then when we put him first, look, what do you want to do? We're already giving to him first. And we're, and we're doing some fun stuff too, okay? And now we got this pile of money. What do you want to do? You want to get a TV? Nah, I don't know. Our TV's pretty good. We just, if you need a bigger one, just scoot your chair up just a little bit, okay? It gets bigger. <laughs> I mean, we can. We got this money. We can. But I don't know. You want to get a new car? I, don't, I like my car. It's still, you know, it's, I like my car. I don't really think so. Well, what do you want to do? You want to go on vacation? We are. We're going on vacations. Maybe this year we'll, we'll start using, you know, we'll go on one vacation as a family and then we'll do a mission trip. That'll seem more fun anyway. Remember when we went three years ago? And I don't remember. All right, well, let's quit doing that. Why don't we go on mission trips? Do something like that. Can you imagine if you got to the point where at the end of the conversation you're like, all right, well, here's, I guess, I, here's what we'll do. I guess we'll just pray about it. And whatever God says to do with it, that's what we'll do. How about that? <laughs> and can you imagine? Can you imagine? actually living what Jesus said. Don't be anxious about any of that stuff. And you weren't. And the things of this earth grew strangely dim. You're like, ah, finally, we got money to buy all the junk I used to want, and I don't want it that much. Because you know wanting it is better than having it, right? Everybody know that? And you got it, and you're like, ah, I tell you what, why don't we, why don't we do something else with it? Man, that's the joy of being generous. We went out to eat over Christmas. We, we do this little annual date to the mall. And we try to get all of our shopping done in that one day. It's my one mall day, okay? We go, and we go eat at this restaurant. It's a great restaurant, whatever. And, and we're sitting there, and we eat, and we get our bill. But right when, right when the waitress walks up, she gives the, like the, huh, it's you. You know, that thing. And I, it's weird for me when people give me the, I think you're my pastor look, okay? You know what I'm saying? I can see it before it gets here. It's like, is that, he, look, he looks bigger on the screen, whatever, okay? <laughs> and then they come up, and I'm like, hey, you know, whatever. We chat. And she just did the, oh, I'll go to your church. I'm like, oh, Tana, if you're there and I'm there, it's our church, and meet Gretchen, and, she, you know, we do that whole thing. And then about the third time when she's bringing something out, she's, she just goes, I just got to thank you so much that God has totally transformed my life at 1122. And my brother invited me and I got saved there and I got baptized there. She shares her testimony and I'm like, that's awesome. Can I, can I get another drink? You know, that kind of thing. And then she comes back like the, towards the end and she goes, and actually, um, I, was one of, I was one of Reagan's teachers in New Gen. And so, you know, she gives that. She's so sweet that it says all this stuff and she's just sweet as pie. And so we get her, oh, and then she said, and tonight's my first night waiting tables. It's my first night, I'm like, on my own. And you guys were one of my first tables. And so, and so we get the bill, and I think it was $94 or something like that, okay, 94 bucks. And I looked at G, and I was like, what do you want to do for a tip? And Gretchen said, why don't you give her $100? Okay, now listen to me. When 13 years ago, we didn't, we were so cramped, we were so, um, we were slave to our lenders, like the Bible says, that we did not have the freedom and we didn't have the ability and we didn't, we couldn't, we wanted to be. We would see some people and we'd want to do something. We'd want to sponsor more kids or support your mission trip. We'd want to do all these things and we couldn't because we had stiff-armed God and said, get out of here, God. And he went, okay, do it your own way. And I'm telling you, it led somewhere we didn't want to be. And now because we put him first, there were some areas where we could just be like, hey, why, why don't we just give her a hundred bucks? And so we did. And so we, you know, $94 and the $100 tip. And I had to write it real clear, you know. 
and we hand it to her and just say, hey, look, first is really important with the Lord. We hope you have a great first night. And she opened it and looked at it and just wept. She was just overwhelmed. Just, she, she, did, she just didn't know what to do. She's, it's all awkward. She's crying right there in the restaurant, you know. And she's just, <laughs> she's just doing it, you know. And here's the thing, man. We've eaten in a lot of places, and I can remember very, very few of them. I'll never forget that moment. It was worth it. It was worth every single dollar. And that's what God wants for you. God wants to be able to see the way you handle money and it be a reflection of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please, don't be defensive about God's plan. Be a receiver of God's best for you. Would you please stand and pray? Our good and gracious heavenly Father, God, you are first, you are preeminent. All things were created by you and for you and through you and to you and you are before all things. And so God, I thank you that you invite us into your story. You invite us to respond, to be generous because you were generous, to give much because you gave your only begotten son, your first God, you gave. And so God, I pray like crazy, Holy Spirit, that you would move in the hearts and the lives of men and women that feel like they are trapped, that feel like they're in an impossible situation, that feel like they are over their heads and underwater, God, and you are mighty to save. And Lord, you just ask that we put you first before all things. And God, that's what I pray. And Lord, I pray, I pray that individuals and single people and college students and married people and families, that they legitimately have those conversations. Wow, what do we do with all that God has given us? And that God, even in that abundance, we would lean heavy into you so that we would hear your voice, so that we could scatter seeds here in Jacksonville and to the ends of the earth for the glory and the renown of your name and for our joy. God, we thank you that you're a good dad. You're a good dad, and you love your children. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So church, this part of the service, I do the same every single time, because we gotta get this. You see, we don't initiate, God initiates. We respond. Worship, the singing part of what we do, is a response to the firstness of God. It's a response to who God is and what he has done. That's why we sing like crazy, because he's worth it. That's what worship means. He is worth it, because he went first and he loved us first. And the reason that we can come down here and cast all our cares upon him is because when Jesus says, it is finished, a curtain between the holy of holies, the presence of God and the people of God was torn into, and you and I were invited into a relationship to know God as our heavenly father, and he's a good dad. And just like good dads want to hear about their day, the day of their kids, so does he. That's what the invitation is. It's a response to pray. And then I typically say, if you're a regular here, we bring our first and our best, our tithes and offerings to God, because he first loved us by giving us his best. And a part of the way we worship is we say, all right, God, since my heart is attached to my money, I want to give you my heart. God, you are first and preeminent in my life. And so, no special offering tonight or anything, just a part of the DNA of who the church of 1122 is, declaring that he is before all things. So however the Lord leads you to respond, let's respond.